0: Welcome to the homo schedule where we're corrupting your children into celebrating their wins and being proud of the journey. I'm Jasmine, your Lyft driver for your ride to Dinah Shore.
1: And I'm Liv, public liaisons manager in charge of biodegradable glitter. Let's review the minutes from last week's meeting.
0: How the fuck are you? <laughs> I'm good. Do we want to get <laughs> real? Yeah, we can get real. I mean, it's kind of gross so i pushed a poo out too hard a couple weeks ago tell me tell me about it this is a safe space i pushed a poo out too hard i was getting a ride with some people and they were like hurry so i was like and i have a little tear in my booty which would be fine but i'm on accutane which dries you out which has made it even worse
1: oh misery um
0: Yeah, last night I was swiping on Hinge with a suppository in my butt. Hot. And I was like, (laughs) this is your late 20s. (laughs) Some girl's like, what you doing? I'm like, you really don't want to know. Nothing much, baby. How about you? (laughs) So I'm great. I feel like this is what it means to be inching toward 30. And that's fine. So I'm just putting a lot of Vaseline all over my body, mostly my lips and my booty and um, hoping that this wraps up pretty soon. But at least my skin is getting clearer. Well, my condolences to
1: you and your Vaseline top and tail experiences. <laughs>
2: oh, thank
1: you. How are you? How's your booty? Oh, my, fine. Thank God. I mean, good. clenching in sympathy right now, but otherwise unharmed. <laughs> That's good. What's new with you? Um, Christ. I mean, I've been like social butterflying it a little bit safely, of oh, course. Good. But like getting out and about and seeing people. Going to like some shows, hanging out with some friends. What shows? Um, I went to a show at The Lash recently. It was really fun. Okay, what's the lash? It's a it's like a bar show venue in downtown LA. Amazing! What would you see? I uh, I saw a DJ set with some friends of mine. It was great fun. Fun! I've never done that.
0: I've never gone to a DJ set. Is that I guess that's what you would call it? I, not a DJ show? A DJ
1: show? <laughs> a DJ. <laughs> cabaret number a DJ exactly uh, what's the what's the plural noun for DJs do you reckon you know like a parliament of owls like or something of DJs what would you say oh a gaggle a gaggle, a gaggle of DJs a gaggle of DJs well, I went to a gaggle of DJs um, okay good <laughs> and it was loud and fun good I'm happy for you yeah it's been nice doing that again Well, Liv, what's on the agenda for today? We are talking to Fortune Famester, if you can bloody believe it. Fortune Famester is a stand-up comedian, writer, and an actor, and you might know her from touring the world doing stand-up, her most recent one-hour special on Netflix called Sweet and Salty, Mm. or her weekly podcast, Sincerely, Fortune. I'm so excited that we get to talk to Fortune! I still can't believe that that happened.
0: This is one of those moments where I was like, oh... This is a real podcast. Not that it hasn't been, but you know what I mean. This is the first, like, celebrity that I don't know that I've watched her comedy. Very exciting. She's so funny, and her TikTok is funny, and her everything's funny. And you guys, I hope you're excited because we're entering it into the record. Hi, Fortune! Hello, Fortune! Welcome to our show. Thanks for
2: being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We like to start
0: our show by saying our names and our pronouns and how we identify. I'll go first. I'm Jasmine. My pronouns are she, her. I identify
1: as lesbian and also as your mom's ex-girlfriend. Oh. My name is Liv. My pronouns are they, them. I am gay. And uh, your mom and I talk, but it's not a
2: big deal. <laughs> uh, I'm Fortune Feimster. She, her. I identify as a lesbian, and um, I guess I need to call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but you and your mom are super close, aren't you guys? Uh, we are, yeah. She she pops in a lot on my podcast that I do, Sincerely Fortune, with my wife, and uh, a lot of people keep asking for her, and so she's become a, a mainstay. That's amazing. Ginger. Ginger, Yes. We're just
0: going to dive right in since we're already talking about your mom because I wanted to ask you a question about her. So you guys are close. She's on your podcast all the time. And she does identify as Christian,
2: right? She does. Yeah. She is Methodist, which is, you know, uh, in my small southern town, that's the fabric of society is there's a church on every corner. A big part of your social life is uh, going to church and (laughs) hanging out and then going to eat afterwards. Going to barbecues. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I grew up, I don't know quite what our denomination is because it changed. It started out as Baptist, but like Mm -hmm. white people Baptist, which is different than black people Baptist. Right. (laughs) And then became more like the hellfire thing. But that's another Mm. podcast. My question for you is, since your mom is Methodist, But you guys are so close, and you've talked about how when you came out, you were beautifully received by your family. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what positive effect that's had on her community.
2: Well, she's definitely um, a little beacon of of light in her her area as far as uh, being a progressive in a pretty red area. My mom's, you know... Bumper stickers. She had an Obama sticker for eight years, and yeah, mom. Uh, <laughs> she, you know, has always been very liberal in her politics and in her acceptance of people. So she's had to have rubbed off on people, you know, because she was also the president of P Flag in our hometown for many years up until the basically the pandemic. What is P Flag? It's a uh, parents and friends of lesbians and gays. What? It's a group that was started a couple decades ago. Um, a mom of a gay man started it to just help other parents, like, accept their kids. It's really, it's a really cool organization. They they get, you know, because a lot of people were coming out back in the day and these parents had no tools to like, what do I do? How do I accept my kid or or I'm nervous about it, I have questions, or sometimes they, you know, were not accepting. And this group, their whole mission was to help other parents and friends of the people coming out learn how to support them.
0: Beautiful. That's incredible.
2: Yeah, it's really, really cool. So she was president of that uh, in our county and hometown for a long time. Um, and so she was... Known as a person a lot of people would go to for help in the area, you know, when a trans kid got kicked out of their house. They would call my mom and she would help, you know, try to find a family to help and, you know, things like that. she's, she's really did some awesome things in the community.
1: Wow. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Thanks yeah. for sharing that.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, You're on tour at the moment, right? I am, yeah. How I, is it? It's amazing. I started doing clubs this summer. And then my um, rescheduled dates began a few weeks ago. Uh, I was supposed to start this tour in March of 2020. Sure, um, right. Great time to yeah, go right. anywhere. My Netflix special came out, Sweet and Salty, and we put this tour up and six months of shows sold out. I was like, oh my gosh, this was amazing.
0: Congrats, I- that's huge. <laughs> Thank you. It's amazing, really good.
2: That's so good. This was like my jump to the theaters. And so I was... You know, March 11th, ready to go. Like, here we go. Fuck. And they're like, no, no, no. No, <laughs> so, no. <laughs> uh, A year and a half later, I mean, like 75% of the people held on to their tickets. Wow, wow. Really? And then we sold the rest. So we've been selling out all these cities. It's been incredible. I I was just in Wichita, you know, Kansas of all places. I'm in this sold out 1300 seat theater. And these people are cheering for me like this gay lesbian coming to a you know places like that talking about my story it's pretty incredible actually the reach that that special had
1: i read something you said about uh your special available on netflix sweet and salty um <laughs> you said there were messages being slipped in there but i do try to deliver it in a way that's easy to digest when you when you think about that what what are the messages you want to leave people with and How do you structure that into your comedy? Is it like conscious? Does it happen naturally? What's the process?
2: Well, I think anytime you're making somebody laugh, you're taking their defense mechanisms away. Whatever wall they've built up, if for any reason, that that kind of lowers it. Because it's comedy, it should be funny. And, you know, for me, (laughs) I want it to be funny. So what I'm doing is I'm telling my story, uh, especially in that special. It's very autobiographical. It was very much from childhood to college to um an adult and when you're sharing your story and you happen to be gay people who might not know a gay person or don't know what their life is like you're already sort of opening their eyes to like oh she does the things that we do she has the feelings that we have we're mm. not that different after all so already you're hopefully opening minds in that way but you know i tried to tell these stories and make people laugh. But then I would say, like, I tell my coming out story and then I say I was lucky that my family accepted me. That's the greatest gift that you can give your kids is to accept them for who they are. I say this in my special. Yeah. And then I add a joke to it, you know, that and cash. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. So, you know, and at the end of my special, I, I didn't know it would be in the special. I had a sincere talk to the audience of thanking them for coming and what a full circle moment it was for me. And I just think anytime you share genuine feelings that it can make a difference to people, you know, as far as acceptance and opening minds. So that's that's what I did. I didn't set out with a particular agenda. <laughs> I just uh, was myself. I showed them who I am, and I think it it did open minds. I got tons of emails from parents Ugh, saying yes. that they help them understand their gay kid more. How does that feel? When you get an email like that, I mean it's incredible. You know, you don't know that comedy or that your story will have that kind of effect. You're just trying to entertain people, but also, you know, being real. So to see that it influenced anyone in a positive way, it just blows your mind. It's it's really cool. And I also had kids writing me saying, "I haven't told my parents I'm gay yet, so I put on your special and I sat with them and I watched them to see how they reacted." (laughs) And if they were laughing and had a smile or something, then I told them, "You know, it was like, "Whoa, oh, wow. this is
1: crazy. God. That just like hit me with like a sense memory of of doing that, putting something on and like sussing mm-hmm. out the reception. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember what you did that with, Liv? I don't. I wish I did. I'd have to think about it. I'd truly forgotten I even did it until like right now.
2: Wow. Yeah, I mean, I do a radio show for SiriusXM and Netflix and there was a guy that called into our show and he he's a straight guy, very macho sounding, and he said that the one thing that hit me was when I was telling the story of coming out. He goes, "I didn't I never thought about how hard that is for somebody to do he goes it was explained in a way that for the first time in my life I finally got how difficult that is to come out and he goes man it broke my heart for you and I thought man like because at the base of some of these stories are pain yeah but it's mm-hmm. but a comedian's job is to take that and turn it into a funny thing it's painful to have to sit people down and tell them because you're terrified you don't know if your family's going to accept you or not. So I'm telling you a story that has a happy ending, but not everybody has that.
1: Right. Your I mean, the antidote to that is always connection, right? That's always mm. the salve to that kind mm-hmm. of pain. And then being able to click with somebody, f- finding empathy bridges, right? It's like, oh, great, now mm-hmm. I get it. And now that person gets it forever. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful.
2: Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really proud of of that special and that it was on a, platform like that that had such a reach and now I'm doing this new tour it's an all new hour and I'm telling my story again but it's a more current story it starts a little bit later in life
0: that's amazing and to use art as the medium Mm -hmm. and speaking of which I read that art (laughs) lifetimes the truth about Jane is what made you gay (laughs)
1: Well, it didn't make me
2: gay, but it made me realize
1: I was gay. (laughs) What is Lifetime's The Truth About Jane?
2: Uh, It's a movie about um, a girl in high school who thinks that she might be gay. And she has a gay teacher who, like, helps just sort of her mentor and is there for her. And then she comes out, her mom played by Soccer Channing is like so mad about it and like angry at the teacher and but then eventually comes around and supports her gay daughter. Yay! You love to see it. <laughs> this is a plug for lifetimes the truth about Jane. <laughs> yeah, the the director of that film saw the special and reached out to really? me and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's so funny." Yeah. And she was talking about how hard it was to get that movie made. This right. was two, that would have been two thousand four, maybe. Yeah. So you know, not that long ago, she just said, "You have no idea what it took to get that movie on Lifetime on the air," and I was oh, like, "I, I bet. believe it." So it was cool to give them a little shout out. Yeah. But that was my story. I, you know, in hindsight, you can see that I was gay my whole life, obviously. (laughs) Oh, God,
1: always. Yeah.
2: But it was what, you know, we didn't have a lot of representation. And the the people that were gay when I was coming up were in the closet, which I totally understand because it was not an accepted thing. And um, so we didn't have a lot of things to pinpoint and see ourselves, you know, represented being like, oh, I recognize something with what they're going through and so watching that young girl go through this journey of coming out just opened some portal (laughs) in uh, in me that made me go oh my god that's I'm I'm gay I know what that is oh man exactly yeah
1: I read that one of your first moments of connection with uh gay audiences was from your time on Chelsea Handler's late night show You've described people coming up to you afterwards to come out to you while making that show, often for the first time.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: wanted to ask you what that was like. Um, do you remember the first time it happened?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, gay people loved Chelsea lately. Oh, my god! <laughs> I mean, especially gay men. I mean, that was their jam. And so, yeah, everywhere I would go, a lot of gay people would come up to me and talk to me about the show or whatnot or about Chelsea. And I think it was... Boston. Actually, a young girl came up to me. She was kind of waiting. She was just like, "I've never told anyone this before. I- I've not even barely admitted it to myself. I can't believe I'm telling you this." Uh, she's like, "But I'm gay. I just needed to tell someone, and it's you." And I and you go, "Oh my gosh!" Like, because. You know, you're a part of that person's history, their story forever. Yeah. So I, it's a thing I, I didn't, you know, I don't take lightly. I understand the gravity of it and the importance of it. So I was very honored that she chose to tell me.
0: Wow. Do you need to do anything to balance out that kind of weight, even though it's a gift? I imagine it might be a weight carrying like people's secrets and knowing that you're helping them change their lives. <laughs>
2: Well, luckily, I didn't know anyone in her family, so her secret was safe with me. <laughs> <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, th- that I'm the person they're choosing to tell this to. Like, how cool is that? I must be doing something right to make people feel like they can tell me and that's okay. Mm. Or at least I'm being visible enough as a gay person that they're like, I- here's a gay person that I can, you know, confide in. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's part of the job, part of being in the public eye is, you know, people watch you in their most vulnerable states. Yeah. You know, I've, a lot of people have told me about having parents dying or someone's sick and they put the special on for them or, or whatever clips I've done. Uh, I've had fans who've followed me around to different shows for years who, one wow. fan would bring me a cake every time I was in the South. What? And That's wow! so sweet. Yeah, really amazing people. You remember this woman in Indiana. She would bring me homemade Chex Mix. She was a lovely mom. And then the woman in the South with the cake both passed away in the last two years. Oh, sorry. And both had family members reach out to me and Wow. was able to send a video to the woman in the South that was dying. That's definitely a wait where you go, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm... Sending a message to someone who's about to die—that's—it's mm. that's, heavy, but you want to give them that because you meant something to them and they supported you, and yeah, to get to be part of that last bit of their journey is like holy cow, that happened right. That one happened right at the beginning of the pandemic. Wow, and uh, it's weird that you go, man. I've been on tour for eleven years, and I've met people. All over the country for for that long that you know you would still be a part of their journey in that way, yeah, that's a huge honor that you didn't know came with the job, <laughs> yeah, those are things you just don't think about and I posted about her, and then that was when the daughter of the the woman in Indiana wrote, "My mom just passed away, and you always talk to her every time you came to Indiana, and I go, "Oh my gosh, like." You just make these connections with fans and they're just really lovely, wonderful people that just care. They're like, we just want you to be happy and feel good in our hometown. And you're like, oh, my God. Like That's when you realize when you get off the Internet, <laughs> you're like, oh, my God, people are good. There's a lot of good people out there. I was just thinking the same thing that balances out
1: the nastiness of what can happen online. I, like, this yeah. is giving me hope for people.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: I do think the human baseline is love. I really, really believe that.
2: Oh, yeah. And you see, and I'm lucky that as a comic, I see it. I get to see it every weekend. People that are actors don't really go out as much. They're not seeing who's watching their stuff as much. Right, it's more removed. Yeah, when you were a comic, you were in these cities with these lovely people every weekend. And you do remember that there's a lot of good people out there. It's just a, a lot of the negative. It has a loud voice, unfortunately, on the internet. But I'm... So grateful I get a reminder of the good people on a a regular basis.
0: Okay, I have to know when you were in Texas, because I saw you tweeted asking people about breakfast tacos. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Did you go to one in a million? No, I didn't know about it. Dang it.
1: it. When Uh, you go back, you have to go there. Best breakfast taco in really ever. Yes. I went to Austin for the first time at the very, very, very beginning of 2020. And the only thing Jasmine told me to do
2: was go to one in a million. (laughs) I I, I tweeted it out, but then realized that we were like, walking somewhere at that moment to go, so it wasn't <laughs> enough time to really get the the proper recommendations. I love a good <laughs> breakfast taco. They're the best. A, either breakfast taco, breakfast burrito, either one. Give it to me. Here's a question for you.
0: What is your idea of success,
2: and do you consider yourself successful? Oh, we're getting deeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> getting deep. Um... I mean, if you can do something that you love and pay your bills, I would say Mm -hmm. that you're successful Mm. Um, because that's pretty huge. I know a lot of people that are paying their bills, but they're not necessarily doing the thing they love. And there's a little bit of that unfulfillment there. And you just want them to find the thing, even if it's not a job, maybe the hobby that makes up for that. But um, I would consider myself successful at this point. It took a long time to get there. I've been out here for 18 years in Los Angeles plugging away. And I did not get paid for comedy for a very long time. Um, But I believed in something happening at some point. I worked really, really hard. I never stopped hustling until the pandemic forced me to for a little (laughs) bit. And then I finally started making a living doing the thing that I was incredibly passionate about. And now I'm lucky enough that people are coming to see my shows. I'm getting acting gigs that are really interesting and cool and fun. And I do a radio show. I mean, I I consider myself very lucky, um, but also a product of tons of tons and tons of hard work.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: I identify with the hustling and with the first time I ever chilled out in my whole life was during the (laughs) pandemic.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So did you learn anything In that time, like being forced to chill for once. I mean, you definitely learned how much of your life is focused on work. Go. Yep (laughs) that that was definitely an eye opener. Um, I didn't know how to function at first because I mean, truly, I have not stopped working towards this goal, this business, this comedy thing, you know, in fifteen years, and so to suddenly have no work to focus on, you're not touring, you're not acting. Everything's just stopped. It was hard. I definitely like didn't know what to do with myself for that first like two months, and was like wearing a lot of flannel and Ugg boots um <laughs> laying on the couch watching documentaries and and but the the fact that everyone was going through it made it a little bit more manageable like I wasn't yeah. the FOmo thing wasn't happening right, but then I really embraced the piece of it all. I, for the first time, wasn't worried about. I mean, obviously, we were worried about COVID and not wanting to die. That was terrifying. There's that. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but for the everyday life, it was, uh, there was some peace that came with not worrying about what time you have to do this or scheduling that or meeting these people or posting this or doing this show or learning these lines to literally have your brain free of everything. Um was pretty special, and the one silver lining of the pandemic is just for once not having to worry about a thousand things. Yeah. Um, and it cleared my brain up in a way that has not happened in a very long time, and I was able later on in the pandemic write this whole new hour of material that was not possible to write it in that amount of time before. Yeah, because my brain had fifty other things in it that it was worried about. So I don't know what I learned about. I guess I just learned that I am a workaholic <laughs> and need to uh, need to take a, a, a break every now and then. Prioritize rest and rejuvenation. Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's hard. Yeah. But it's like, that's a hard process to start. It's like, how do you, how do you learn how to do
2: that? It's like, well, if you, if you have no the choice, <laughs> of course, that's how, <laughs> then, then you'll figure it out. Well, this business is interesting because you work your butt off to just try and, you know, quote unquote, make it. Mm-hmm. And to get to the point where you're making a living at it, so you're busting ass doing that, and then you finally get to that point, and then you're getting the jobs, and you don't want to not work because you're finally getting the jobs. Yeah, it never stops. So the hustle yeah. never ends, yeah. And there's that fear of the next mm-hmm. trip.
0: And I've got a ton of shit going on. It's very exciting, but I'm That's like great. having those panics every night i'm never i'm never gonna work again and this was all a joke and i'm really bad at everything
1: i do and everyone's gonna learn that (laughs) it never how do you deprogram that i don't know oh i don't know that that, i don't know that that ghost (sighs) stops haunting you but you you i guess it's like learning to be friends with it or right learning that it leaves it's like oh yeah you again
2: well you'll be gone in a week right well, you know the the freaking internet stuff doesn't help. You know you can't help but compare yourself. You know to people that are posting things, and you can be doing so many good things, and then you see somebody else has done this other thing. You're like, what? You know, your brain. It's like we're programmed because of the way that we live right now with this to always look at what other people are doing.
1: One of the most valuable things my mom ever instilled in me and my brothers was that someone else's success is not your failure. Amen. So glad. That that she made such a point yeah. in telling us that when we were little. Because now I'm like, fuck. If I if I didn't have that baseline to come back to, this would be a nightmare.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you got you know, parents these days have a even tougher job to instill self esteem in your kids. I mean, what a tough job when all yeah. these outside forces are, you know, yeah. battling against that. But. We all have that voice in our head that tells us those things, and it. I think the biggest way to combat it is just you find other ways to be productive, to mm-hmm. take care of yourself, and those voices get lighter and lighter when you fill it with other things, you know?
1: Yeah, and if you keep coming back to the joy, it's like, well, I, I love doing this, and, and mm-hmm. I, I love yeah. finding ways to do this. It's like if you keep coming back to the ways in which it's fulfilling, and that's where you're coming from. It's yeah. gonna be fine, you know. I I think anyway. I think so too.
2: Yeah, and you know, it doesn't help that you're in a business where you could have just filmed like seven things, and they go, "What's next?" You go, oh, <laughs> "Right." I mean, this isn't enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you just have to be keep being, you know, your own biggest cheerleader. Oh, thanks, guys. I feel like this was
0: the
1: anti-anxiety. It gets better. Kim. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate it um fortune i have a question for you all right are you familiar with the musical fun home
2: i am yeah i mean i've seen it once in new york amazing so my memory's a little clouded but i did see it It was awesome
1: that's okay so we have a recurring question on this podcast that we call the ring of keys question do you remember the song ring of keys Uh uh-huh do you remember ever having a Ring of Keys moment? Like when you were little, mm-hmm. do you ever remember like a person or an image or like a moment or a feeling where it felt like recognition, specifically about being gay?
2: I mean, maybe that time my friend and I practiced dry humping on each other. <laughs> 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 that seemed like a pretty spot on <laughs> recognition. <laughs> no, it was, you know, like when you're kids, and you're like, I saw them doing this. It wasn't like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> we do. didn't know what we were doing. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, gosh. That just brought back memories. Yeah, I'm like, oh, man. right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is gorgeous. There were so many moments that I don't think I recognized at the time. You know what I mean? Yes, um, I do. Being moments i was so deeply in the closet not even aware that i was in the closet was the problem Mm. um because i was in the south in a small town and I didn't know gay people. I I mean, anyone that I now know was gay was married to someone of the opposite sex back then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there, it wasn't like I was like, oh, there's, you know, so-and-so, he's happily with his boyfriend. You know, I didn't see gay in the world. And uh, it feels so naive now, but that was what the times were back then in my tiny hometown but yeah i would say uh definitely that like angst towards friends of just being so bummed out when they were like on a date with a guy oh, yeah <laughs> I, I recognize that a lot of that just like built up like this that guy sucks <laughs> you know and they're like what you didn't you barely met him yeah i don't like him And just that feeling too much for somebody that's just a friend. Oh, God. Tell me about it. Moments for me. I have a notebook full of those. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It takes a long time to break that cycle, too, you know? Like, especially somebody my age, when I finally came out, it took me a lot to, like, not put feelings on people who weren't gay. Like, I was so used to, like, liking not gay people. Right. Mm -hmm. I relate Um, to this
0: deeply. Falling in love with the straight best
2: friend. Exactly. Yeah, because that was what I was used to. Yeah. That was, that was the pattern. You did that, and they would like give you morsels of something that was and you, that was enough for you at the time. Mm-hmm. Until you finally reach a point that they've gone, wait that is not enough, and why am I doing this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so you, there's a lot of things that gay people have to like really un unwind. Yeah. Once they do come out.
0: I had a best
2: friend in middle school
0: who I was in love with, and I was still very Christian at the time. And I didn't know I was gay, but I did know. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I thought, okay, we're going to spend our lives together Mm -hmm. and we're just gonna like be best friends who live together and never touch or do anything sinful but like that way we can be together and maybe we'll adopt a baby and i had a whole plan yeah Yeah. it's like and
1: that and maybe that's what love is and like i don't Mm -hmm. need to ask for anything more for myself or imagine other possibilities or or check with her that that's what's gonna happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) i decided
2: yeah i mean we just yeah you just sort of put up with what you think you deserve back then but yeah when you finally do get in a healthy relationship with you know somebody that's out and proud and you're not hiding anything it's pretty powerful like you you go oh my gosh i had no idea what i was missing for so long it's beautiful
0: i'm looking forward to that someday anyway we're gonna play
2: (laughs) (laughs) it'll come be patient
0: Ah, it will will. i know it will will. i'm not in any hurry
2: at the Mm -hmm. moment
0: we're gonna play a game we're going to play gender this Oh, I love this game. Okay. <laughs> Liv isn't briefed on these games so that they can play along with our guest. F edition for Fortune. So I'm going to just say a bunch of things. Let's start with F. And you guys are going to tell me the gender of it. Okay. If someone feels specifically moved,
1: go for it. Otherwise, both of you go for it. It's rapid fire. Here we go. Fennel. Fennel is uh, a boy, but like a seven-year-old boy who climbs trees a lot. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay,
2: Fortune. Folk music. It's an old, old grandpa. This is also for fortune. Fertilizer. Uh, uh, a lesbian in her 50s that's getting her roses <laughs> in shape for the winter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. perfect. <laughs> Liv, frozen bananas. Uh, frozen bananas
1: are like a femme, like vampy lounge singer. Amazing. Both of you flipping people off.
2: Oh. oh. It's a it's a dude on a motorcycle that kind that with the big handlebars that go up a lot higher than they're sitting.
1: Yes, exactly. Like a beavis and butthead masculine.
2: <laughs> yeah, someone just cut cut them off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Liv, fine dining. Fine dining is like uh masculine but like dandy. Like um like f- fine young things, like vest and monocle. Like quite fey. It's got to have the monocle. Liv, Friday. Friday is a woman and she's hot. Fortune, Fava Beans.
2: Uh, It's Fava Beans. It's a member of the Indigo Girls Band that plays the triangle. (laughs) Fortune, the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin. Uh, It's a a nerdy 35-year-old guy that's not looking forward to turning 40. (laughs) Liv, Forgetting Sarah Marshall.
1: Forgetting Sarah Marshall is a baby, a genderless baby.
2: Fortune, Flying Squirrels. Flying Squirrels is (laughs) non-binary. <laughs> um, is open to whatever comes its way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Liv, farts. Oh, farts. Farts are agenda, genderless, outside of it. Mm. Both of you, feathers. Feathers are like gender fluid, but like an, a boles- in a very burlesque way. Like it's it's camp in either direction.
2: I was going to say burlesque too.
0: Incredible. Three more. French lessons. Oh, a uh, 75 year old
1: woman named Sephora. Oh, I'd love to meet her. I like her name. Liv, fall. Oh, um, full is, is non-binary, but, like, it's a secret.
0: Okay, love it. Both of you, friends and family working together to abolish the police.
2: That whatever gender that, like, a holiday dinner is. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. A lot of people coming from different walks of life all eat turkey or corn. Turkey and corn. <laughs> Yummy. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for playing Gender This also, hi to your little fluff ball. Hi, little Literally puppy. perfect dog. This Who is, is this? This
2: is Biggie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Biggie is small, everybody.
2: Biggie's so small. Because we are renovating, <laughs> we're all in one room right now, and... He does not like that I've been ignoring him for 45 minutes. Oh, Oh, Biggie. Well, this
0: question's for Biggie then. (laughs) What are you going to do this week to further the gay agenda? And I would like to know Biggie's answer as well. I'm putting (laughs) that on record.
2: Well, Biggie uh, is very supportive of the gay community. He's uh, very open-minded. He just wants people to love who they love, be who they want to be, live their true self. That's what he told me. (laughs) Thank you, Biggie. Into. Thank you, Biggie. Yeah. Um. I guess uh, for me, I'll uh, further the gay agenda by continuing to be me, be myself, put my content out there. Uh, I do a podcast called Sincerely Fortune, where I talk about a lot of uh, things about uh, in my life with my wife and our relationship. We share a lot of that with people and. I'm going to be doing shows on the road, which, again, we'll talk about my stories of uh, being a gay person in the world, proposing to my wife, telling my stories that uh, hopefully continue to open minds and, you know, show people that someone like me is no different from them other than specifics of life. But we all put our pants on one leg at a time, right? Hell yeah. (laughs) If people do want to come see a show, I'd love for people to Go to my website, fortunefeemster.com. Yes. i all over the country. Uh, and I it's super gay, friendly, obviously audiences, a lot of gay people in the audience. So uh, it's a safe space.
0: And we will put that. We'll put the link to your website and all that info in our show notes. So oh, everyone go amazing. click. Check it out. Awesome.
1: Liv, what are you going to do this week? I'm going to read some gay love poems. I'm going to find some love poetry about being gay and read it and put it in my brain. Oh, yeah. I think that's great. I'm going to go tell all my friends that I got to interview Fortune Feimster.
0: Yes! (laughs) Very excited. Thank you so much for being here. You are the first person I've taken a nervous shit for, and I'm telling you that (laughs) because I thought you might appreciate it. I do
2: appreciate that. (laughs) I appreciate you guys having me on the podcast, and uh, it's really cool to talk to you both. After every interview,
0: there is still so much more for us to read and learn and talk about. So we have citations we want to share with you. So during the episode, Fortune talked about how she was forced to slow down during the pandemic and recognized areas in her life where she's a workaholic and how prioritizing rest has affected her. So here's a link. It's called Why Being a Workaholic is Awful for You and Everyone Around You. It's by Harry Bradford for HuffPost. Here's a quote from it that I like. There are more ways to overwork yourself than ever. And while refusing vacation time, eating lunch at your desk, or never shutting off your work email might seem like a good way to impress the boss, they also could have dire consequences for your health down the road. Okay, here's something crazy in the article. It said, Americans left $52.4 billion worth of unused vacation time on the table in 2013. That bothers me. That makes me sick. Isn't that billions of dollars? Oh my
1: God. I can't even comprehend that. Read the article in the show notes. In the episode, we talked to Fortune about the pitfalls of imposter syndrome and how we've caught ourselves comparing ourselves to others, and how we're working on not feeling that way. So there's an article here that's called Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome by Ruchika Tolshian and Jody N. Bure for the Harvard Business Review. Here's a quote. Imposter syndrome took a fairly universal feeling of discomfort, second-guessing, and mild anxiety in the workplace and pathologized it, especially for women. As white men progress, their feelings of doubt usually abate as their work and intelligence are validated over time. You can find all of these links and more in the episode description. Guys, this is the last episode! Wow! <laughs> how are you feeling? You
0: did it. I feel good. I, You know, of course, we record this before we release it, so mm-hmm. we won't get to say anything about how it's been received in this moment, but I'm just going to go ahead and assume it was received really well. People really <laughs> liked it. People love us.
1: We're pretty. We're very famous. We're beautiful. Yeah.
0: <laughs> very rich, very famous, very <laughs> successful. Very hot. Um, but, you know, I hope that listeners felt heard and encouraged and seen. I hope people laughed. I hope people learned something about themselves, discovered community, community via the podcast. Like, oh, hey, I never knew Natalie Morales directed Plan B. But I also hope people found community by sharing it with friends and talking about it or going online and talking to other people who listened to it, because that was one of my main goals from the beginning was creating community and creating safe space. And I've found community through it. Like you and me, we're going to hang out with Leo. Yeah, we are. That's so cool.
1: How do you feel? Are you happy with how the season turned out? I am. I am. It's been so interesting I feel like I've learned a lot about myself doing it too you know like there have been times where I've been really nervous there have been times where I felt really vulnerable yeah. you know quite kind of like tender and new I haven't really done anything quite like this before I've been guests on my friend's podcast but I don't think I really considered how different this experience would be it feels much more vulnerable you know it's mm. like we're so used to being visible and being pretty public, but like pretending to be other people all the time. You know, this this is really different. Like we're just doing this as us and talking this much, talking this frankly, as us has been really rewarding, but a little scary sometimes. And I'm thankful to have been through that with you. Thanks for coming
0: along on the journey with me. Yeah. I want to know one thing that you learned and I want to know one of your
1: favorite moments. Oh man. I learned to uh, not try to think too hard about what I'm going to say, you know? Yes, that got me in the gut. You know, when we when we review last week's minutes with each other, like when we think about what we want to ask guests, when we think about how the episode is going to be structured, I've learned to like not keep such a tight grip on myself, not spend so much time worrying about how I'm going to come off, you know, Mm. just show up and be honest.
0: I had no idea you worried about how you come off. (laughs) Yeah, I do sometimes. Isn't that funny? Perception versus reality. And what was one of your favorite moments?
1: Oh, man. I just, I love how many times on this podcast we got to laugh.
0: Me too. You know,
1: like hearing people join us in our silly bits like coming up with games yeah that's my favorite my favorite memories of doing this have been um the times we've really gotten to laugh me too dude
0: i know i could name so many i mean the first one that comes to mind is uh caleb because that was just that was so cool like He really did. His comedy really did get me through the beginning of the pandemic. And then the fact that I made him laugh, I feel like I won an award. Like, how did I make Caleb laugh? Getting to talk to so many of my friends, getting to talk to people who weren't friends and now are friends, and laughing. I agree. Laughter is so important to me. And I would also agree about what I learned. Like, early on, I was so... Like the word that comes to mind is rigid. I don't know that that came across, but I felt like, okay, the timing has to be perfect. Like no awkward spaces, even though that stuff's edited out, like live with someone. I'm like, I don't, oh no, we were silent for a split second too long. And now I'm like, eh, whatever. We're just people talking. It's really cool to listen back and hear how we've evolved. Because I yes. do think we've gotten a lot better at asking questions and engaging as the season's gone on. and Naturally. I'm I'm proud of us. We did good, dude. Yeah, we did. I'm really proud we of us, too. We did good. And thank you to all of our guests, everyone who came on. I'm proud of you as well. Everyone shared something intimate or vulnerable. And thank you to everyone who tuned in each week. And I'm excited to see what we have in store in the future. Thank you, Jasmine. Thanks, Liv.
1: This meeting has been adjourned. joke! Oh, yes! <laughs> <It's been> adjourned. Gabble. <laughs> Gabble. <Gavel.
0: laughs> Snot falls down my face. <laughs> <laughs> This has been The Homo Schedule. I'm Jasmine Savoy-Brown, your host, producer, and creator of the show. And I'm Liv Hewson, your host and producer. The Homo Schedule is produced by Multitude for Netflix. Our lead producer is Eric Silver, our engineer and editor is Misha Stanton,
1: and our executive producer is Amanda McLaughlin. Be sure to follow Most, Netflix is home for LGBTQ plus storytelling, on Twitter and Instagram at Most. And the best way to help us keep advancing the gay agenda is to tell a friend about the show. So I post about us on socials. Or text someone a link to your favorite episode.
0: We'll see you next week.
1: This meeting has been adjourned.